Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your and here with my friend and Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masach Sachim, daf Yud Zion. So we're still in the middle of talking about Tuma and Tara. Um, and I just want to give one clarification. Yesterday, we were discussing what were the seven liquids uh, that are, we are talking about when we talk about being Mechabel Tuma. Um, and we listed five of them, and there are seven. So I just want to go through all of them quickly. It's water, wine, dew, oil, honey, but specifically bees' honey, blood, and milk. And we, when we specifically talk about this area of the Beit HaMikdash, where the slaughtering took place, uh, the two um, liquids that we really would be talking about there would probably be blood and water. So just to explain that a little bit. Um, in terms of our daf and what it's discussing, so first we have this interesting story about um, Chagai and the uh, Kohanim. Um, and then again, we have a um, further discussion about Rav and Shmuel with a third opinion thrown in there. And then finally, we end with a discussion of whether or not the Tuma uh, status of liquids is actually Doraisa. So I'm just going to touch upon um, the, uh, the first two. And I think what's interesting about this discussion of Chagai right, is there's uh, even a machlokas between Rub and Shmuel about what exactly was Chagai trying to test the Kohanim about or what were they discussing. But when you read that passage, uh, what they're really getting into is the levels of Tuma. And it's here from this passage where they really establish that you can't have anything more um, than a revi of, uh, of, a revi of Tuma, right? Because According to one of the interpretations of Shmuel, you would actually get to even a chamishi of Tuma. And the Gemara basically says, well, you know, you can't have the chamishi of Tuma. So when we, I think, I love these stopim that are discussing Tumantaraan because, you know, it's not presenting Tumantara in an organized way, right? Like you would have to read this passage about Haggai and the Kohanim to learn that a review shel Tuma is sort of the, the most level that you'll get to. Um, but it's not like it's written like, oh, and here are all the levels and we'll and we'll bring them out for you. It's really done it in a roundabout way on the DAP itself, which obviously is confusing for people. Uh, look, the fact is when we when I went through the list of the levels of Tuma, right, the Dargata Tuma of Avia Vota Tuma and all that, I'm, you know, looking at a chart, right? And and the concept is in the Gemara, but the whole all of those details are not laid out neatly. I mean, other people besides us have done so, but, you know, you have to, there has to be a chart to be able to put it together in a, in a coherent kind of way, I think. Right. So I'm going to move on then to one other section before you talk about the last piece of the staff. Um, and remember yesterday we had had this machlokas between Shmuel and Rub about the status of the mashke beit matbecha, right? Um, and whether or not those liquids there could be, um, could be Tameh at all. And Rav had the opinion, right, quoting Yossi ben Yoezer, um, that those liquids, which would basically be uh, the blood and the water, can never be Tameh. They're always considered to be Tahor. And now they throw in a third opinion here, right, which is in the middle of Amanal that says, Belevi Tameh, Mashke Be Mat Becha, right, that Levi learned that it's all the liquids of the, um, of the altar. And what's interesting about this is this would actually include the wine and also the oil. So whereas the machlokas of Rav and Shmuel really, because you're just talking about the slaughterhouse, would really just have to do with blood and water, Levi's understanding of what this is, 
uh, would actually include wine and oil. And I think we can sort of understand where Levy's opinion would come from, because one of the things that we discussed yesterday is, in a way, we have to have this protection of saying, and, and, and I know you're going to talk about this a little bit more also, about how this fits in with liquids, if it's too much de Arisa or, or, or not de Arisa. Um, but once the liquids on the in the Beitami dash can become tame, you know, that's going to lead to all different types of complications. So, you know, Shmuel and Rav, the Machlokas is going to be over, you know, uh, blood and water. And is it always Tahor? Um, or can there be some types of way that it could be Tame? But Levy's going to throw in, no, I'm going to say it's any liquid that could possibly be you know, of the altar. That's literally what it means. And therefore, that would also include wine um, and also the oil, which were, which were often brought um, with, um, with uh, the, uh, with Corbanot. And then what's interesting is, is then what the Gemara does is, is it's trying to then test out, okay, so Levy has this opinion, right? But who is Levy more like? Is Levy more like Shmuel, right? Who held that, according to Yossi ben Yoetzer, the liquids, right? But Shmuel's really talking about blood and water. They're going to be tahor in the sense that they can't transmit tuma, um, but they themselves can be tame, right? Or is he more like Rav, uh, who says that they're always tahor? So it's not only that they can't transmit tuma, but they themselves cannot even become tame. Um, so I just thought this was like an interesting third opinion. Um, and in my mind, again, for the issue that it's trying to solve here, what would it actually mean if liquids that are that are frequently encountered in the Beit Hamidash could actually be um, tame. I, I just think it would be almost impossible to keep the laws of Tumantara. And so Levi's going to even take it a step further. And he, you know, has this Masora that Yossi Ben Yoezer says it's not just the blood and the water that we're talking about, right? But it's even going to be uh, the oil and the wine as well. Okay, I think what's going to happen next on Ahmed Bet as we kind of throw all of that on its head. Um, I will say, I, I'm i reluctant, I'm not reluctant to admit this, I'm, I'm sad about the fact that it is the case. I do not yet have a lock on, not only on this Gemara, but on this question of liquid and tumentara, meaning the same way that we're reading about it unfolding, and is it so right, is it a rabbanan? So, so I'm, I feel like not only do I not yet know the end game, I don't have all the movable parts yet clear in my head. Hopefully that will come. Um, but I do want to talk here about on Amabet, we have Rav Papa and we have a whole bunch of um, new movable parts to pay attention to. Amrav Papa, Afilu Lamanda, Matumat Mashkin Doraita, Mashke Beit Matbachaya, Hilchata Gamirala. So Rav Papa says, okay, even if you think that the, that the Tuma, the potential tuma of these liquids is in fact doraita. The fact is, we've already talked about any kind of tuma going into the slaughterhouse, right? And he says here, hilchata gemirala. That is kind of code. Hilchata gemirala. That is a halacha that is learned to us, to it, and it's code to mean halacha moshe misinai. Halacha moshe misinai again is a status. We've talked about this some time ago. That it's a status that means that there was no machloket really on this particular halacha. So, and this is your point, your Dana, that the that the liquids within the slaughterhouse were were pure, regardless of what you think about liquids in general anywhere else. Um, so the question then is, you know, do you have so 
what ha- what do you do with that? If you have a lachlomosh misinai that the bait mitbachaya um, liquids are not ever going to be considered tame, what does that tell you about liquids in general, or does it tell you anything about liquids in general? So the Gemara continues. Amrle Ravuna Braj Rav Natan Larav Papa Vela Hadama Rebilizer Ain Tuma Lamashkin Kol Ikar Tedasha Shahare Heid Benyo Ezer East Shreda Almashke Bait Midbachaya Dakane. Right? So he says, um Rebilizer said that there's no tuma for liquids from a Doraita perspective. And we know this because Yossi Ben Yoezer, who we talked about yesterday, Said, you know, talks about this specifically about the slaughterhouse to begin with. So, so meaning, so what are you trying to tell me that it's a We don't even need that, right? Or alternatively, if we do need that and we know that, then what do we need Rav Yosef and Yoezer for? So Rav Huna Bered Rav Natan continues. He takes the same, he continues the same st- sentence here or the same thought, I guess. Ve'i hilchata gemirala. If it, this is halachomoshimisinai, what do we learn from it? Do can you derive anything from this principle? Which brings us, meaning us talking Talmud, to an important point, which is that once you have a statement that is halachal moshe misinai, there's a principle that you can't derive anything further. There's no halachic principles that you can derive from a statement that was halachal moshe misinai, meaning it's just what it is, and you can't extrapolate from it any further. Which I suppose. You know, I, I, when I th- think the things off the top of my head that I know to be halachal that have the status of halachal moshmisinai, some of them feel like by fiat, right? Meaning it is that is the tradition, and we do not deviate from it. And to me, it makes sense, certainly intuitive sense, that we would not then derive other halachot from these kinds of statements that become, you know, listen, there's no machlokit on it, there's no dispute. Um, that's already pretty remarkable. So then we're not going to like then get into trying to apply it further somewhere else. I, um, yeah, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, I found this whole discussion to just be very interesting. Um, the idea that this would have to be a halacha lemoshe misinai. And again, because a lot of this tumantara is not particularly explicit in the psukim itself. And you know, to have sort of this body of law of Tumantara, which in itself is a, is maybe, and this is just my modern take on it, you know, it's it's a difficult concept to understand. I mean, it felt much more real for the people who practiced it in the time of the Beit HaMidat, but even the concept of it is so strange. Um, and then to not have it sort of laid out clearly in the Psukim, some of it obviously has to be sort of tradition teaching from generation to generation. So it makes sense that there would be something that's halacha lemosha misinai, and it also made sense to me that particularly halachot around the temple would fall into that category. Well, Ravina and Ravashi come forward to reject Rav Papa's position here, right? So what do they say? Amr le Ravina le Ravashi, v'ha Rav Shimon damar tumat mashkin doraita detanya, didn't we say that it's Rav Shimon? Isn't it Rav Shimon who says that the tuma of liquids is doraita? And then he's got a brighter that says, Tanya Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Shimon, Omrim, Lakelim Torin, Laochlin Tmein. So now we end up with an interesting um, division, I guess, between how we're going to treat liquid. And I find it really interesting, really interesting that the Gemara and I guess that the Halacha goes this way, that there seems to be a discussion over whether your liquid 
where it, where is this liquid that's coming in contact with anything else and it's going to become impure? So the question is, is it in a vessel? What if it's on a, on the ground? So Rav Ina continues. He says here, The moment you have liquids in kalim, in vessels, then you are in a situation of them possibly or probably being ritually impure, right? But if they're on the ground, if liquid is on the ground, then it's pure. And perhaps this explains the slaughterhouse question where the liquids are kind of, I assume, gruesomely, I guess, all over the place, right? It's not because we've got a storehouse of liquids. It's because there's liquid that is, you know, you know, the lifeblood of the animal, whatever it's going to be, it, and it's going to be on the ground, right? Nobody's st- standing there to uh, store the blood, God forbid. So the Gemara says, you know, if we're talking about this, then why would it make a difference where the liquid is? Right, meaning the question is perhaps this is not after all. Meaning, and if we're going to say, because if you want to say that that it's not going to be rendered impure, then you wouldn't make. Then why would there be a difference between whether it's in the kalim in the vessels or on the ground? And the conclusion here, I really like this. The Gemara says, "Gosh, yeah, that's difficult." Meaning, it's difficult according to Rav Papa's opinion. Just that to square this question of liquids in the vessels versus on the ground, why would it make a difference? So it seems to be a contradiction in terms to the that liquid is always pure. And and I like that the Gemara affirms that indeed this would be difficult. Um, I want to just continue one more drop. I, um, pardon me. Pardon the pun. Amar of Papa Hadamatrakarka to You made me laugh, Anne. Sorry, so let's <laughs> And now you know we're talking about the slaughterhouse. Rav Papa says that when you're talking about the liquids in the Beit Hamikdash that are pure when they're on the ground, and Chazal taught and the, right, the Chachamim taught this halacha, they're talking about water. But what about blood? So according to Rav Papa, it does not apply. It does not apply to blood, meaning blood could be impure even on the ground um according to Rav Shimon even right that's apparently so that's that's a question like do, are we going to draw this distinction between now we've got a distinction between not only where the liquid is but what the liquid is and then the Gemara gets a little bit further detailed into the kind of water and what if it was in a mikvah I want to take just the last little bit of this Gemara well, it's not the last bit of the Gemara, it's the last bit I want to talk about, is takes this question of, again, where what is this liquid, where is this liquid, one step further. Amar, mar, Rabbi Huda Omer, l'chol tameh. So, um, they said, according to the Breita, that was, you know, uh, uh, quoted up above about the possibility of impure liquids, the Rabbi Huda says, l'chol tameh, they're all impure. Right. Let's just turn it on its head again. Right. We just thought that everything could be pure. No, everything is impure. What does that mean? To say, does that mean that Rabbi Huda thinks that when you have an impurity of liquids, that it's transmitting, that it's going to give off the tuma to the kalim, and all of that is Doraita? And Bahatanana, didn't we learn in a Mishnah? Now, a Mishnah should line up with Rabbi Huda. Every kli, every vessel has an 
Achorim, the outside and a, or an exterior, I guess is the nicer way to say it, Vitok, and the inside of it, the interior. Kagon, Hakarim, Haksato, Tashkin, Matsufin, whether you're talking about pillows or blankets or bags or or a different kind of bag, right? All of them are going to have an inside and an outside. So the Gemara says, Nitzma tocho, Nitzma gabo. If the inside is rendered impure, then the outside is also rendered impure. So if you have an impure liquid that's on the inside, now the whole kli becomes rendered impure, which I think is interesting because I would have thought, I might have thought anyway, as I said, I don't quite yet have a full handle on this. Um, I would have thought that what's making that liquid impure is the fact that it's in a kli. But here the Gemara seems to imply that what's making the, <laughs> it's the other way around, that the, what's making the, what's bringing the impurity is not that the kli is making the liquid impure, but the liquid is making the kli impure. Nitzma gabo lo nitzma tocho. And here's an important case where it says, if the exterior, if the outside became impure, then the interior is not rendered impure, right? Because the whole point of the vessel, the whole point of the clea is to do the holding, the containing of the liquid that's in it. So the fact that the outside of it might, might touch something impure, it does not transfer inward as compared to the, the opposite, which was said right above, which is that if the liquid is impure and the inside of the vessel is impure, then the outside is also rendered impure. And then the Gemara says, well, what if, and, you know, what if it was um, the outside became impure because you've got a, a sheritz, you've got some kind of creepy crawly animal that comes in contact with the outside. So then if the inside becomes impure and the exterior, the outside is also impure, and then likewise you would say if the outside becomes impure, the interior is also impure, because that's the case where the vessels came, became impure due to the contact of impure liquids, specifically, right? No, I'm sorry, I said this backwards. Everything we've been talking about until right now is about the vessels becoming tame because of the liquid. But if they became impure, not because of the liquid, but because of a creepy crawly, then the creepy crawly impact of tuma um, the interior, the toch, the inside becomes impure because the outside is also impure and vice versa. So it, it's, I don't have an answer really why the liquid would become impure on its own inside a vessel if what makes the vessel impure is the fact that it's got impure liquid in it. Well, I, the only case I could think of is that if someone's hands were not pure and they touched the liquid. Okay. That that's a good plan, but then why aren't they telling us that? I feel like again, I feel like you know, if I can take the time, and I don't know that I can, if I could take the time to go over this four times, then I'm sure I would have a better handle on it. Right? There's this rule that if you are not sure of what you're reading, go read it four times and you'll get a handle on what you read what you know and what you don't know. At this point, I feel like I kind of get it and I kind of don't. And I'm sorry to like lay it all bare like that. But I'm frustrated because I, I feel like at this point, the Gemara seems to me to be very clear, just not in my head. Right. No, I, I, I totally hear that. Um, there's one last thing here I want to mention that I was really taken by, um, which is on Ahmed Olive, which I forgot to mention before, uh, which is this discussion about what happens when the liquid leaves the Beit HaMikdash. 
Um, and uh, this idea that, I, I mean, I guess I'll just, you know, read it very quickly. Um, they, they quote a Brisa here, right? And it says, one of the things that it says here, right? It says, Tanya Kavate de Levi, right? They had a Brisa that was like Levi. Hadam Bahayayim Bahashemin Bahamayim. Right. So let's say you have this blood, wine, oil, and water, right? And they are the uh the, the liquids of the um of the altar, and they become tame inside, right? And then you take them outside, they stay tahor in the sense of that if we're gonna say according to Levi that none of these things ever can become tame. It's a brilliant question. Well, what happens if these liquids somehow leave the Beit HaMikdash? Do they still stay tahor or do we say, no, now they actually can become tame, right? And then it goes on to say, but if they were tame outside, um, outside of the temple, and then they were brought into the temple, they stay tame. So I think what's interesting here is it has to do with sort of the origin of the liquid itself. Um, and that sort of determined whether it can remain tahor. In other words, if it's truly a liquid of the altar, it's always going to remain tahor. Whereas if, if it's a liquid that came from the outside that was not connected to the altar, if it's tameh, even if it gets into the Beit dash, it's still going to take tameh. Um, and I thought this was just a lovely little brisa that explains that, again, I think emphasizes the point of sort of the issue of having liquids create tuma uh, in the Beit HaMidash itself. Yeah, I, I find that helpful. I think that is helpful. And, uh, you know, in terms of my my question of let's put this into a bigger perspective and make sure that we can, you know, make all the, the boxes filled with the right details type of thing. That's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Uh, come talk to us on our Facebook page. Tell us what you think about, again, liquids and the Beta Mikdash and Tuma and Tara. We look forward to continuing this Tuma and Tara discussion for another little while. Until tomorrow, go and...